And at first I was a little uh, confused because I thought to myself, oh, they must be one of my founders because they couldn't possibly mean me. I was not an entrepreneur. And they thought, oh, wait, I forgot. I actually did build a business. Tracy Chadwell, founding partner of 1843 Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in technology companies with diverse founding teams, knows something about money. She was named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Powerful Women and Forbes' 8 Women VCs to Know. She also knows something about the definition of success and why being flexible with that definition may make all the difference when asking for an investment. Coming up, you'll hear about having the risk gene and wanting to be part of something exciting. Tracy's rules for the skill set of the ask. Three no's for a yes why you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, an excellent piece of advice for dealing with requests for advice and mentorship if you have a hectic schedule, and why Winston Churchill is one of Tracy's greatest mentors. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. You started 1843 Capital over the past few years, but yes. this is not the first thing that you've done. You have a incredible career that led you to start this business. Can you tell me a little bit about your career and what led you to start 1843 Capital? Yes. And my career is really interesting because I used to call it zigging and zagging. And I thought, oh, I'm going in this direction and that's not right. I'm not finding myself. But now that I'm a little bit older, I realize that it's actually more of a spiral staircase where that you continue to go up. You may not always be going in the same direction, but you continue to go up. And and that's sort of how my career evolved. I started as a lawyer and found that that really was not what I wanted to do. My dad was a lawyer. And so I went to law school uh, to please him. Ostensibly, it was to take over his firm, which did not happen. Uh, how come that didn't happen? Um, because he was, a, you know, he was an estates and trusts attorney. And he always used to say the only truisms in life are death and taxes. They're the only things that don't go away. So it's very secure. But uh, I think I have the risk and so I always wanted to do things that were a little more exciting. And I really wanted to practice international transactional law. So I went to Tokyo and learned Japanese and worked for a Japanese law firm. Was this right out of law school? That was right out of law school. Yeah, exactly. It was a really hard time to get a job in the United States because, you know, I think we're all right now during this time feeling the threat of recession mm -hmm. on the horizon. And we've been through this many times. This is not my first rodeo. So I, I hope we're prepared with my firm. But uh, it was a very difficult time to get a job. And so I thought I needed to differentiate myself in some way. And having Japanese language ability and Japanese transactional experience was a great way to do that because very few people in the United States, especially Chicago, did that. So, But then coming back to Chicago, I realized, whoops, there's not that much international work happening in the middle of the country. <laughs> uh, but there was one firm that I had read about that was doing international transactional work. So 
I called them up and I said, can I come in and take an interview with you? And they said, well, come on in. But they said, you know what? We're not hiring lawyers. And I said, well, are you hiring for anything? And they said, yeah, we're hiring for a receptionist. Um, so even though I was already a practicing attorney and licensed to practice law, I took a job for $27,000 a year working as a receptionist. What year was this? This was back in, let's see, 1991. So your dad so wouldn't hire ago. you? Oh, he would. He would have hired me, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want to do tra- trust and estates yeah. work. So uh, I was really trying to forge my own path, and yeah. um, it started with a lifelong obsession with me thinking it's about the calls you make, mm-hmm. not the calls you take. And so I was determined to go out and seek what really seemed interesting to me, which was the international transactional work and to find it and to do whatever it took to get there. And uh, I negotiated that I would be the receptionist for six months, but then I would transition into working on deals. And that's where I got my first deal experience. And then I worked for Robertson Stevens, which was a tech investment bank based on the West Coast and got a lot of great uh, M&A and deal experience doing that and working for their internal venture capital firm, which then translated into becoming a partner with Baker Capital, which was a billion-dollar growth capital fund here in New York. I took some time off. I became a mom. I had my second child. And I said, you know what? I think I really want to try this. I really want to try being a stay-at-home mom. Lost my mind. <laughs> I love my children. I'm, an, I'm a new mom. So I have a nine-month-old right now. So yeah. I know how hard it is yeah. to, to work and take care of a child and be running around. It's definitely not easy. How much no, time did you no, get yourself at home? It's not easy at all. Yeah. And it was about eight years. But it was also sort of during transition time. So it was after 2001, you know, I, I I actually left my firm in 2003, and and that was when a time that was a real softening in the economy. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the decision factors as well is what's happening at work. It, it made it easier for me to leave. But then as we got ramping up back again in the economy, boom, 2007 happened in the mortgage-backed crisis. So there wasn't really opportunity for me to think about that, coupled with the fact that I had really tiny children and we were gut renovating a house and I was doing all the things at the kids' school that I thought I should do. But it kept nagging at me and I was really, really frustrated that I should be doing something a little more. So I started listening to podcasts while I was driving because I had to drive the kids so much. At the time, they were really brand new. And there was a podcast about angel investing. And I hadn't heard about angel investing before because um, whenever we were looking at a deal, we were putting 30 to $50 million into a company. And oftentimes, maybe you'd see a single investor, but it was like John Malone, mm. you know, so it wasn't it wasn't just sort of normal people on the street that had uh, more, let's say, normal balance sheets. And uh, so I thought to myself, this is really interesting. Maybe this is a way for me to get back into my work, but still have some time for my kids, but still really stimulate me and and be excited about what I'm doing again. So that's, I started making investments on my own balance sheet, one of which was Beauty Counter, which has been a runaway success. How did you come up, meet the Beauty Counter founder? It was very interesting. I'm from Greenwich, Connecticut right now is where I live. And uh, a friend of mine said, hey, Tracy, I know you're into non-toxic stuff. Why don't you come and go to this lunch? And this woman I know, Greg Renfrew, is coming out from the West Coast. And she started this really cool company in, in the beauty space. And I said, great, I would love to. And she was looking to recruit consultants at the lunch. And um, that wasn't what I was interested in doing. But it sounded to me like the best business plan I had ever heard. So I went up and, and introduced myself. And I said, I love what you're doing. 
doing. I think your company is great. I think your product is great. I think your plan of distribution is great. I used to be in venture capital. Is there a way that I could be helpful to you? And she said, well, actually, we're just wrapping up a friends and family round right now. I said, hmm. Send me the deck. <laughs> what year was this? So, oh gosh, this was 2013. Okay, a couple yeah, of years ago. Well, yeah. oh my gosh, time flies. Seven years I ago. Know, <laughs> I know, it's seven years ago, but she really has accelerated yeah. in a quick period of time. Wow, that's really incredible. Yeah. So can you share how much you invest in that company? I can. I I did an initial round of $100,000, and then I did a follow-on round of 50000 That's really so, incredible. And, and that worth... was probably a lot for her when she was first starting the business. I think she appreciated it, sure. And have yeah. you been a mentor and advisor to her as well? I think, you know, I would say I've been a friendly ear. Yeah. You know, Greg is one of those rare entrepreneurs that actually doesn't need mentorship or advice. She does such a great job. And I think even now with the fund that I have, have. We look for those. We look yeah. for people who can really are capable of building their own businesses and don't need us to jump in. But we, the help that we do deliver in terms of if there's some soft spots or if there is a need for help in business development, that's just throwing fuel on the fire, right? And so that's what we really look for. So now let's rewind a minute. So mm. you've decided, you start listening to this po- these podcasts, yeah. you learn a little bit about angel investing, right. you start investing in some companies, and then what happens? This company started to do really well. So it was coupled with, so the companies are doing really well. And then also, too, I saw this just complete inflow of new female founders. I mean, right now, we're looking at 27%, I think, of all businesses are started by women right now, which is extraordinary. And it's growing exponentially. And I think a lot of it has to do with accelerator programs and all the mentorship programs. You know, corporations are getting in and promoting entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Schools are promoting entrepreneurships. There's small seed stage funds all over the place. So there's a lot of really encouragement. But then also, too, one of the things that I think we're missing in this whole equation is that the the internet has leveled a playing field mm-hmm. for women, that no longer is information a guarded secret that only gets passed on the golf course, that all we have to do is if we have a question, how do I write a deck? You Google it and yep. it comes, 25 answers come up. Yep. How do I structure an investment in my firm? Well, maybe 16 podcasts will come up to mm-hmm. teach you how to do that. And then also too, I really like LinkedIn because I feel like a lot of the networking that we felt that maybe we weren't capable of or exposed to is now instantly available to us. If you if you do a good job of populating your LinkedIn account, you can get to just about anybody yeah. these days. Do you find that people message you often to ask for advice? I would say that happens more than just about any. Well, first they message me for capital. Yeah. So, <laughs> because, you know, once people know that you have capital, um, the phone does ring. Yeah. It, it's been fantastic, but we see, and we see 650 companies a year. Wow. Which is really incredible. So we, we have to sift through that. But then also two people ask me for advice. They, you know, especially how to fund a business, how to build a business. Um, so it's, but you know, that's what I love. It's one of the reasons I got into this space is because I love sort of being a, a conduit for a woman and a way to help yeah. them because I think so many women have, they have all these assets, be they intellectual or, or actual capital, and um, they need to put them to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So what made you realize that you needed to really formalize this as a business and not just be writing angel checks to a few entrepreneurs and, and make this something real? Well, the my portfolio, I had uh, 14 investments in 10 companies. And the portfolio was doing so much better than my public equity mm. portfolio and better than actually our returns were when I was working for a growth capital firm. So I said, I think, I think given that there's this huge opportunity out there of all these new founders – 
coupled with the fact that I have a really terrific track record, I think there's something there. And I think that there could be a fund. And um, I'd seen one or two other women raise funds at the time. And I thought, you know, I think this is something I could do as well. What is the process like of raising a fund? It's it's extraordinarily difficult and much, <laughs> much harder than I thought it could it would be, quite frankly. But having said that, I also want to say that even though raising capital is hard, and especially when you're raising it for a venture capital fund, because think of this, I'm going to take your money, I'm going to put it places, I'm not telling you where, <laughs> I'm not telling you any of the strategy behind it, and you won't know until it's actually done. You won't be able to get your money back for 10 years. And, but just um, trust me. And this is some of the, <laughs> exactly, and this is some of the riskiest places to put your investment because 90% of the companies fail. So, so come on, sign up. <laughs> no, by the way, pay me a fee to do it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, obviously, we have to achieve above market returns to keep this going. It's a difficult space to raise money. But anybody who's in a position to raise money is in a position of true privilege. Mm -hmm. It is an honor to be able to go and tell your story and to sit in front of really smart and really successful people and get their feedback and potentially have investment from them. How many years did it take to raise this fund? Uh, about a year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah. And that's about that's about par. Okay. Sometimes people do it, you know, in a year and sometimes it can take two and a half or three. Any tips for someone who is looking to start raising their own fund? You should have a track record. You should have a track record in the space. And I think that um, we're seeing a lot of operators build venture capital funds Mm -hmm. right now. And I think that that is really interesting from one perspective, but I think it's also important to have the investing background as well, because a lot of this business is financial engineering, and people think that they can pick great companies, but the best company is not always the best investment. Interesting. Why do you think you were able to pick such great companies? What were you looking for when you were deciding? Well, first and foremost, it's always about the team, because a lot of times when, you know, things go bad, and they always go bad, and founders depart, and customers leave, and and you have all kinds of problems, a really great, resilient founder Mm -hmm. will make it work. How do you ask the right questions to know that this founder is resilient? Uh, Well, there isn't any trick question. (laughs) But, you know, it's astonishing. If you just ask um, open-ended questions, Mm -hmm. people will talk and people will share things with you. And it's really interesting. I met a founder uh, a few days ago that was telling me about the two other jobs that they had. And while I think that that's great and it means that they're a really hard worker, it also showed me that they weren't dedicated to the business. So it wasn't something that I'd be interested in funding then. Interesting. And how do you decide what type of companies to invest in now? Do you have an investment thesis for your fund? We do. We we actually have a, a really interesting thesis, which I call Silver Tech. And Silver Tech, I think, is just a little bit sexier name for aging technology. This is, we are at the tipping point of the silver tsunami. The baby boomers are the most numerous group out there. And they are, what's really interesting, the largest economy Mm. that we're looking at in terms of a market opportunity right now. 83% of the wealth in this country is held by people over 50, which is extraordinary. So in terms of economies that are bigger, you have two, the United States and China. Third is people over 50. Wow. So in terms of who to sell to, you want to sell to the people that are the buyers, right, that have the capital. So whether it's a a software to help someone's life a little easier or whether it's a consumer product in that space, those are the things that we're interested in looking at. Are there any investments you can talk about right now that you're 
that you're getting involved in? Yeah. Well, well, I can talk about an investment that we made called Silvernest, okay. which is a company that does roommate matching for people over 50, which is really terrific because that not only is a great financial opportunity, but it also solves the problem of loneliness for yeah. people, which is really wonderful. Also, too, there's a couple really big issues in the aging space, one of which, amazingly enough, is sex, <laughs> which is because there's a lot of sex being had by people that are over 50, which is fabulous. But then also transportation, a little more boring, but um, very, very profitable. So we've taken two positions in the transportation space, one in a driverless shuttle company that's electric, that's already up and operating and already revenue generating. It's called May Mobility out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And there was just a great article the other day uh, in Bloomberg about the fact that May Mobility is way out ahead of all the other autonomous driving companies because they're actually revenue generating and operating. And then a company called Hop, Skip, Drive, which is a wonderful founder, Joanna McFarland in Los Angeles. And what they do is they do uh, sort of an Uber, but it's for kids and for the elderly. It's for people that have uh, extra needs. And Joanna has what are called care drivers. And so these care drivers are specially vetted. They have an extra layer of training. They're fingerprinted, continuously monitored in their background checks. But one of the things that I really like about this company, too, is that 93% of the drivers are women. So women feel more comfortable driving kids and they feel more comfortable driving the elderly. But this is a huge, huge need. And she's growing like crazy. Wow. No, I mean, I know how needed this is. My grandmother, I mean, she passed away last year, but her one of her biggest issues was getting to doctor's appointments. She had an aide there. We're always calling accessoride and needing to get her places. And, you know, it's things you don't think about until you're in those situations with your parents or your grandparents. But it's a really great, you know, sector that you're in because you're going to be able to help so many people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so other spaces that we're looking into are caregiving, um, mm. you know, issues surrounding that. Um, we've also looked at a lot of CBD products because the market acceptance for CBD is huge yeah. in the boomer population. Yep. So we've looked at that space. Uh, menopause. This is something that we're really diving into right now, whether there's a possibility for a digital health solution on that. So interesting. Yeah, thank you. I think so too. <laughs> Coming up, you'll hear why you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Tracy, last year, Entrepreneur Magazine named you on their list of 100 Most Powerful Women. What was that like when you got that email? Oh, my gosh. It was incredibly exciting. And at first, I was a little uh, confused because I thought to myself, oh, they must be one of my founders because they couldn't possibly mean me. I was not an entrepreneur. And they thought, oh, wait, I forgot. I actually did build a business. So <laughs> it's uh, it's really exciting. When I first started the fund, there weren't that many women that had started venture capital funds So as, as, a, as a sole founder. So I think um, it was interesting to them. And I was excited to share one of the the great stories that I'd had with actually was with Greg Renfrew of Beauty Counter and how great her pitch was. Well, that's such an honor. Yeah. And it's incredible that you've accomplished so much over your career and now in your own business. And we were just saying you are an entrepreneur. What has the process been like for you of actually starting your own business? Because you've been advising entrepreneurs for years. Yeah. And then you had to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to start. Did you start an LLC? What type of 
Did you start an LLC? Or I, did, I, visit, did, I did. I yeah. had started for the angel investing. Yeah. I had a, I had formed an LLC yeah. for that. So I had already put, and being an attorney, I know how to form business structures. But I think the way it happened is that I didn't realize it. So that's that's helpful too. I think if I, it would have been daunting if I set out and said, I'm going to build this large business. And when you say, oh, you've been so successful. And I don't even feel that way. I just feel like I've been following the breadcrumbs mm. of what really makes my soul sing and what, what makes me happy when I wake up every day. And so I started the business, yes, by, you know what? They always say the hardest thing is to find a name. And so that was really how it started, is I had to sit down and figure out a name. And it took me weeks. I was really surprised because being able to, and I highly recommend trademarking your name, not so much that you want to go after someone else that's using it, but you don't want to cease and desist letter coming to you. Oh, I never told you our story when we started our business because it was the name of our company was not Socialfly. It was collective media. Oh, and within yeah. two months of starting right. our business, we had a cease and desist letter. There you go. And here we are. Yep. I would think I was 27. Courtney's 24. I'm like, are we going to go to jail? We get this letter. You know, we had no idea. Right. Right. And we changed our name. Granted, Social Fly. It's a better right. name than collective media. But I we love had Social a, Fly. We had a cease and desist letter within just a few months because right. we didn't know. Your tip right. right there. Right. So I think the very first thing you want to yep. do is find a name that speaks to you. First of all, I like to have a name that tells a story, but then make sure that you trademark it. And it doesn't cost that much to do it, but it'll save you a lot of pain and headaches in the long run, especially after you've built a brand around your name. You don't want to give up all that equity you've built. And you can even do a quick trademark search yourself yep. before getting the trademark attorney. Right. Just Google trademark search and that link will come up and right. you can And then trying to find it. the URL too, yep. you know, yep. getting so. all those factors in place. And it, it did take a long time, but I love the name 1843. It's the year that Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program. So it is a nod to the fact that women have been in technology yeah. for a really, really long time. I love to joke and say, well, what if Ada had been funded? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then also too, a number puts us at the top of the list. Yes, There's 800 venture capital funds out there. It's really competitive. So being at the top of the list because I'm a number helps. Very smart yeah, and very strategic. Did you, you have other names you were deciding between or when you thought of that one, that was it? You just Well, knew. we thought about eight adventures, but then we found out that the American Dental Association <laughs> has that name already. And, you know, it is interesting because somebody just named their company eight adventures in the UK. I wonder if they did their due diligence on, you know. And then, of course, we looked at all the Greek gods because that's where you start when yes. you're doing something in financial services. But 1843 just really resonated and we're really happy with it. I love it. Definitely, definitely a good choice. And you recently did a TED Talk on the skill set of the ask and you shared tips for funding effectively. Can you share some of those tips that you share during that talk? Sure. I think that one of the things that people, when when they come and visit me as a venture capitalist, they think that I was just born with this pocket of money (laughs) under a tree. And it's really not true. We do have to set up a a functioning business and set up a limited partnership, which is the structure Mm -hmm. that venture capital funds use. And then we have to go out and raise capital from limited partners, just like a founder has Mm -hmm. to raise money. And through that process, I was also hearing all the time about the lack of funding for women, that women were only getting 2% of Mm -hmm. venture capital dollars. And, you know, a good 98% of that has nothing to, it's not the woman's fault. And I always hate it when people say, oh, we need to educate women more or teach women more. No, you know, there's a lot of unconscious bias Mm -hmm. and things at play. And it's a very, very complicated situation. But I thought, well, what if there's a tool set that we could give women just to give them another leg up? And I found that so many women really hate raising money. And I thought, well, what if you take the fear out of it by making it a skill instead of thinking, oh, it's this terrifying thing that I have to go do? Because I think when women have breadcrumbs and they Mm -hmm. can follow along and have instruction, I think that they do so much better. 
And so I developed this cute theory called um, three no's to a yes, which is the first one is know, know who you're talking to. So no matter what it is, whether you're asking for a job or whether you're asking for a raise or whether you're asking for capital to fund your business, it's really important to get to know who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Because if the person doesn't have the capacity or the interest to fund you, then you're not, let's not say you're wasting your time, but but you should have known that going in so that you could get something else from the person. And I don't think any meeting is ever wasted. I always like to say, change your definition of success and you will be so much happier raising capital. Because when you do that and you say, okay, this person isn't right for funding, but maybe they might know somebody else, or maybe they could give me these really smart people. Maybe they could give me some advice on my business or some direction or help me think about something a different way. You've won something from that. So the the second thing is know yourself. Mm. And this, I think a lot of people struggle with is knowing their value proposition. First of all, this is another person you're talking to on the other side of the table. So to the extent that you can um, bring some value to them, I mean, you are bringing value, you have to really show what the value of your company is, but maybe there's something else that you could do or, or some other connectivity, maybe their child is looking at a college and you went to that school and you could say, hey, I'd love to to talk to you about that. And and if you did your homework and you know who you're talking to on the front end, you'll know those connectivities and you know those places that maybe you could be helpful as well. And then the third one is no doesn't mean no forever. Mm. It means no at that time for exactly what you're asking. And that's that's the part about persistence is that people think that no is a no and they, they walk away forever. I very often have founders where I'll say, you know, we're not seed stage investors or we're not pre-seed investors, but we'd love to stay in touch for Series A. And when I say that, I actually mean it. And I'm shocked at the number of founders that I have to go track down again and say, hey, how are you doing? Give me an update. Um, that should be automatic. Yeah, That should be something that if somebody says, we'd love to hear more from you, keep it up. Because guess what? You've already crossed that first hurdle of establishing a relationship with them. So why would you throw that away? Yeah. That's so interesting that people aren't following up with you. For God's sake. I would say if I wrote a book, it would be very short. It would say follow up. (laughs) (laughs) You could just have a title page and have all blank pages on the inside. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because it's such a simple thing and yet so few people do it. Do you find that people will, even if you say, no, it's not the right time or we're not the right partner for you, do people send you thank you emails or thank you notes? Sure. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's really nice. Um, Very often I'll beat them to the punchline. I'll say, thanks so much for coming by. I really love what you're doing. And I know you mentioned before you see 650 potential businesses a year. Yes. How is that possible? How do you have time for that? (laughs) What is your process? It's really hard. And and we do have a screening process and we do have metrics that we're looking for. So a little bit of it will filter out right away. I think when you do look at so many decks time after time after time, you start to know what you're looking for and you can do it pretty quickly. If someone sends me a deck and it's a thoughtful deck that is in a space that I'm interested mm-hmm. in a range. I, if someone's sending me a soccer team in England, which I've received, mm-hmm. or an oil field in Texas, which I've received, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's, 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 I'm not going to dismiss it without even opening the deck. And oh, also, too, to open the deck, it has to come from a trusted source because a lot of the security issues mm. that we're having now. So I'll only open a deck if it's someone I know I won't open a cold deck. So if you want me to see what you're doing and want to propose that we have a meeting, you just have to put it in the field mm. of the email. But you, you know, you get pretty quick at it. 
Do you have, I don't want to say like office hours, but certain times where people can come meet you and learn from you and pitch you? Oh my gosh, you this or? is such a great question because <laughs> I have such a great tip for everybody out there because I'm sure everybody, like you too, I'm sure everyone says, you know, hey, could, my daughter's interested yes. in this space. Can you please give her five minutes? Yes. Or, hey, someone's thinking about starting a podcast. Can That's why we started this podcast, actually, right. because we had so many people reaching out and yeah. there weren't enough hours in the day. Exactly. We wanted to be able to share as much information as we could at scale. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I have the greatest tip for you. And I call it Founder Friday. So when there is someone that is not immediate, you know, when it's not time constraint, when it's not pressure or where I don't see immediate value to me, I will put them in what's called Founder Friday. And, And on Friday afternoons, I stack calls one after another on half hour increments. And that's sort of you're winding down for the end of the week anyway. So you're, you can still um, have the presence of mind to listen and be helpful to someone, but maybe you don't have to be at the top of your game. <laughs> and so I also feel like too, when people ask you to do something, you never know what's going to come out of mm. it. So I hate to turn it down. So what I do is I stack them up on Friday afternoons. And then if it doesn't work for that Friday, then we go to the next Friday and the next Friday. And it, we just, you can always find a slot for someone. Some Friday, way. someone will get in. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's but, very, smart and a very good use of well but that time. way too then you're not stopping and starting right yeah. so you're not doing it on a tuesday morning when you're right in the middle of a project and oh yeah i forgot i have to do this mentoring call or i have to do this you know call with a pre-seed company or you know this so. is very great advice oh, that you. i am going to take <laughs> for you. myself now as yeah. well as i continue to get all of these it just started requests. to notice yeah. i just get it the stopping and starting yeah. was really frustrating but this is still something that i wanted to do and make time for yes absolutely right? yeah so you mentioned you have a team of six people yeah. now correct yeah, how have you grown that team over the past two years and how did you decide you know when you were ready to hire who you right. needed to hire i feel right. like you know you're probably giving this advice to your founders and now you're experiencing it yourself right well one of the things i like to do is make sure that there is a real fit personality yeah. wise. You know, we're a, we're a small firm and to make sure that everybody gets along really well and that everybody adds value. Um, I always like to say, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be surrounded by people that are so much smarter than I am. And this team has grown organically, which is really nice. Uh, I think a few people have heard about what I'm doing. So people have been reaching out or through friends of friends and say, hey, you should meet Tracy. Yeah. And um, when things sort of, connect and work it's it's sort of a little bit of magic that you know is there uh then we start to work together slowly and it it uh, develops into part of the team then do you have any go-to interview questions that you ask during an interview well we don't i don't interview anyone that's the thing it's sort of the the relationship grows over time so maybe we might start um i just actually have a really terrific guy that we just added to our advisory board and through the advisory board we might be then bringing him on as a formal advisor and we just sort of work through the food chain, you know, time, time wise, and, you know, quality time wise. Oh, that's really, really amazing. Is there an accomplishment that you're most proud of to date? I mean, you know, having two sons is a pretty big deal. How old are they now? (laughs) 16 and 18. 16 and 18. And I love them dearly. And I'm exceptionally proud of them. Is that sophomore and and senior in high school? Yes. And I'm proud of the gentlemen that they're becoming and, and how they're respectful and kind. Well, that's a testament to how how their mom has raised yeah. them, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's wonderful. Do they have the entrepreneurial bug from you? <laughs> so my son really loves cars and he is interested in designing them, but then also too the other day he said to me, 
oh, mom, maybe I could work for Ford Ventures or GM Ventures investing in technology for cars. And I thought, oh, wow, that's so great. Definitely rubbing off on so, him for sure. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Were there times for you throughout your career and journey that were maybe harder than other times for you that you just was you had to just keep going to get through? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. When I first started the firm, I would say probably about, I would say, four months into it. Because they always say, too, when you're building a business, you have this high when you first start it. And then as you start to get into it, it gets tougher and tougher. Mm -hmm. And you sort of go down to this trough where you cannot see above. Everything gets very dark. And you can't see the light. And you can't see across the horizon to where you're going to be. And that definitely happened about four or five months into it, where I was waking up every night in a cold sweat and thinking, have I done the right thing? Because I finance this myself. You know, we talk about me funding people to build their businesses, mm. but I did not take outside funding to build my business. I, I financed everything myself. And I thought, am I taking this huge risk? And am I crazy? And will they take me seriously as a woman? And, you know, what if they don't think that I'm capable of this because I took time off as being a mom? And it, a lot of these other doubts were in my head. And I think I just had to get a, to a place and my spirituality helped yeah. me very much with this. I said, you know, I I just have to let go and let God. Yeah. <laughs> you just sort of have to. That. Yeah, you just have to to let this go and and realize that guess what? We're not always in control of everything. Yeah. And if this was to happen, and if this was my path, it would work out. When you were having these sleepless nights, yeah. how long did you let this go on for before you just gave yourself this self talk and said, you know what? I made the right decision. We're moving forward. You know, a heck of a lot longer than I should have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, I think I started um, journaling was a way yeah. I was sort of get some of the anxiety out and and meditation. But it was um, ultimately for me, it was going to faith was really yeah. was really the thing that helped me the most. Yeah. But I but everybody has their own choices and they have to do what's right for them. Up next. Why Winston Churchill is one of Tracy's greatest mentors. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. What other advice can you share for female founders who are first starting out and looking to launch their business that are not ready for your level of funding yet? They're just starting. Well, first of all, you know, everybody thinks that they have to have a mentor in this business. And here's the great news. You don't have to have a real mentor. You know, one of my greatest mentors is Winston Churchill. Mm. I never met him. 
but I adore him. And guess what? This is free. Mm -hmm. Everybody can go to the library and everybody can get a book of someone who has done something before you. Mm -hmm. So that is the first place I would say start because, because you'll get a, you know, much better advice from them than you, than you will from me. But, um, one of the things that Winston Churchill said is that when you're going through hell, keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think about that every single day because it seems like no matter what it is, there's always a little bit of a struggle or a little bit of a fight. And you, you can't, when you're in hell, you can't just stand around. You'll get burned. So you have to keep going, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I say that to myself just about every morning. Tracy, I want to talk more about being a mom, having a business, yeah. making choices, whether to stay home, go back to work. I told you I have a nine-month-old now. And right. I can't remember if I told you this when we had a call a few months ago, but I was actually on bed rest for 17 weeks of my pregnancy. I had a very complicated pregnancy. Oh so then I ended up coming back to work because it's my own business about right. – seven, eight weeks after I had her because uh -huh. I was out of the office for so long. And that was just a, a choice that I had to make. I had a business and my husband is actually home with our daughter. Right. So he quit his job right. and is staying home with her now. But Fantastic. I know you you made a choice when you know you were high up at a law firm yeah. and then had your kids and chose chose to stay home. Can you you know share more about that experience and yeah. the stigma of everything now? Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, my eldest son came a little bit early. He was six and a half weeks early. Mm. I was pregnant with him during 9-11. Wow. And that was a really stressful time. Yeah. I was here in New York City when it happened. Uh, and I was in my office. And then I remember having to leave my office and looking up at the smoke and losing friends in the venture capital <sighs> business. I, and um, something I actually don't share that often, but I was asked to speak at a venture capital breakfast at Windows in the World at 8.30 that morning. Mm. And I turned it down twice. And um, it's sort of funny. The reason I turned it down is because I was really pregnant mm. and I didn't want to ride in a taxi. All, my office was up yeah. in Midtown and I didn't want to ride in a taxi. And the second time they reached out and they said, Tracy, we really need a woman VC to speak on this panel. I just thought to myself, oh, gosh, I'm going to be so hot sitting in that taxi in September. So, no, I'm going to have to decline your offer to have me speak. And I, <laughs> you know. 110% would have been just gone and my son as well. So um, very stressful time. And so he came quite early. And that I was your first son? My first son. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, up here on the Upper East Side giving birth at New York Presbyterian. Yeah. And um, the nurse came in. She said, I've never seen anyone on the phone more than you, Tracy. <laughs> because, I, you know, it was unexpected yeah. and I had to let everybody know. And and uh, this was when I was partner at a at the venture firm. And that was tough. We hadn't had a discussion. And we were a small, it was a small fund, yeah. in fairness to the fund. Um, and so they needed me there. But a couple days after uh, I came home, it was actually two days after I'd come home, three days since I'd given birth, um, I had my assistant in my house and we were working again and mm. I, she brought all my mail because you used to get mail at that time. And I started doing conference calls from home and I was working from home and I had a call from my boss that said, Tracy, we're going to take away your salary until you come back. And I said, well, but I'm working from home and you can't have it both ways. And this is a week after you gave birth? This is, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and so, uh, so what we decided to do is that I would go on half salary until I came back, which I went back after six weeks. So that was really, I, I felt that was really tough. Yeah. It was really tough. But I love my work. So I was happy, happy to be back at work. But I truly understand the struggles and the, 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 
you know, it's it's tough. And I, I hope we get to this point where it's a whole family is raising yeah. children. Yeah. You know, I always say that women should have whatever choices that they want to make. And I am extremely supportive of women who choose to raise their children. Yeah. I am extremely supportive of women who are starting businesses. I'm extremely supportive of women who are starting businesses and having children. <laughs> you know, but it is it is it is a hard choice. And unfortunately, it's a choice that we feel like we as the mothers have to make. Um, and I think there's, there's been historically a stigmatism around this. But I think that couple things are happening. We're starting to lose that stigmatism as people are being able to work at home. So there's ways to to manage things. And we have a great co-founder of one of our companies that just has had a little baby girl. Mm -hmm. And um, she's up in Canada. So she has six months of maternity leave. But you know, she's checking in. And I said to her, don't be afraid, because sometimes when you have a new job, being the baby, sometimes your old job feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so every once in a while, you want to go back to exactly what you know we're doing before. Yeah, yeah. And you shared before that when you were first starting your fund, you felt like you had to hide a little bit that yeah. you had taken all this time off. Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because sometimes when I would say to people that I had taken some time off, I would get this noise, Hrumph. you know, uh, especially I think. Maybe some women who had not made that choice mm -hmm. were very frustrated and angry that they had they had put in what they thought was the real hard work mm. in sticking with it and sticking it out and and making all those hard choices. And um, gosh, I have nothing but respect for those women. Um, but this was a, a choice that we had made for, for me and for my family. And I think that the stigmatism is lifting, but I hope that we can have more respect for the women who do stay at home, because having done both, I can tell you, it is a heck of a lot harder from so many perspectives, because it is an absolutely thankless job yeah. being home and being a mother. You, I used to call myself the chief administrative officer. <laughs> you know, I was in charge of making sure that all operations were were running well in the home. And, you know, before when I was working, I was always an employee. Everything was done for me. Car yeah. services were called for me. Appointments were made for me. Someone would bring water into the conference room. All of a sudden, I get home. And guess what? That's me. Yeah. I'm doing everything. I'm doing the driving. I'm doing the groceries. I'm doing all this administrative stuff. Plus, I was actually running a P&L that's larger than when my fund first got <laughs> it started. So um, I learned a lot of management yeah. skills. And I learned a lot of organizational skills and I learned you know how to how to keep a small business running which was my home and uh, also too gosh you know raising children sometimes there's a lot of lessons now that I've learned uh, with uh, w working with founders <laughs> and um, I hope I'm not too much of a mommy when I talk to them but I try to be nurturing and um, also sometimes there's sometimes when you have to have some tough love yeah. and some discipline so that it comes in handy. Do you believe in work-life balance? Is that a thing? I think that we should all do what makes us feel the best yeah. because we are only we only have this one lifetime yeah. and we have to do the best for ourselves and the best for others that we can and whatever form that takes, whether it's a lot of balance or a lot of work. <laughs> and uh, I think there's no one answer for, for everyone is what we have to do. And how have you found your own self-care routine for yourself? How do you keep yourself healthy? I know you mentioned that you're into organic organic products, but but what else do you do? Self-care. I'm not sure what that is. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, just because yeah. I don't do it. I yeah. actually don't do it. That's something that I really need to work on. Yeah. And um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because – there is, you know, there's a lots of ups and downs in your life, and there's no way that you can control that and stop it. But you can control what you're eating, you can control what you're drinking, and you can control how much sleep you're getting. 
So those are the things, those are actually goals of mine for this year to try to do better at that. What are you going to do to achieve those goals? Do you oh my plan? gosh, go to bed earlier. <laughs> yeah. Go to bed earlier. And, um, you know, try- do you put your phone down? Do you put your phone away so it's not near the bed? So this is a little bit of a marriage problem mm-hmm. because my phone is downstairs, but my husband has the iPad in the bed. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a disagreement on that front. My husband and I, I think this is a, everyone's marriage problem, yeah. right? Because yeah. I've always been the one always on my phone because of my business. I own a social media agency. Right. I'm always on my phone. But right. now having Molly, like I, I really try to put my phone away as right. much as I can, especially when I'm home to be present. Well, it's going to be role modeling but too. Now, but now he's gotten, I feel like he's gotten more addicted to the phone than I have. Right. So I'm like, you have to put your phone down so right. I feel like it's always there it's true I think yeah. it's really important to especially to um, I am so able to channel my energy so efficiently when I'm working yeah. that I can't even hear what's going on around me so I think it's really important to close that laptop yeah to put the phone down in a place that's inaccessible and and read a book I love to read books so I guess if I do anything if I you know relax what makes me happy it's reading books both nonfiction and fiction oh I love that yeah And what would you say you're most grateful for every day? Oh, gosh, I'm absolutely grateful for my family and my Mm -hmm. boys and my dog. But What type um, of dog do you have? A yellow Labrador. (laughs) His name is Oberon, and he's adorable. (laughs) Which is King of the Fairies from from Midsummer Night's Dream. But um, you have the be- you have the best names and the best Aww, naming. Uh. <laughs> thank you. Um, but I think that those are sort of obvious answers. What mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I'm really grateful for absolutely every day are um, just sunrises mm-hmm. and nature. And I try to part part of the meditation and part part of the sort of making sure that I stay grounded is you know noticing when there's a flower on the street mm-hmm. or noticing when the sky is particularly beautiful with the pink streaks or the blue streaks, and that can be really helpful for your to reduce anxiety. Which mm-hmm. when you're building a business, you have a ton. Oh, that is so true. What is something that our entrepreneurista audience would be surprised to find out about you? Um, I think that they would probably be surprised to find out that I worked against apartheid in South Africa when I first graduated from college. One of the things I learned through that is that whatever you think is true is not. Mm. And so I always, I go through life thinking I know absolutely nothing Mm. and being completely open because what all the stories were and what was pushed through media was not at all what was happening. And every story is individual and every story has two sides. That's really, really great advice. Well, when you walked in here earlier today, you brought us a little surprise, but I have a surprise for you right down by your chair there. Oh. Your little entrepreneurista bag. Oh, I love so this. You're officially oh, this an entrepreneurista great. now that you've been on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love this. So and I'm, I'm kind of a messy Marvin, so this is great. It's plastic. I can clean it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Reusable bag that you can take everywhere. Oh, this is great. So, I love it. Oh, and this is you. really nice because, you know, journaling is so helpful to just get things down on paper because then you get it out of you. So yeah. thank you for this. Well, this is perfect. Enjoy. Yeah. My last thank question you. for you. Yes. is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, gosh, it means pursuing your dreams, not at all costs, but never giving up, right? And keep going after what you think is right and follow those breadcrumbs. Yeah. Oh, well, it's just been so amazing to talk to you and hear Thank your you. story and your journey. Gosh, and you well, shared so some incredible advice and tips that I know our entrepreneurs are absolutely going to love. So thank you again so much for being here. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Where can everyone find you and follow you? Where's the best place to connect? Well, we have a great website, which is 1843capital.com. Also, I'm on LinkedIn, which I think is a great resource that every woman should be 
very conscious about populating her LinkedIn account. Yes. Um, I'm also on Twitter at, at T. Chadwell. So we'll definitely be sure to find yeah. you and follow you. And for the entrepreneurs that you want to meet, what are the right type of entrepreneurs you're looking to meet that could receive investment from you? Well, they have to already have some revenue in place so that we can see their traction and see if their customers, well, what I always say is, are the dogs eating the dog food? Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to see that. Um, but then also, too, I really like a founder that has been successful in the space that they're building a company in. So if you've had success in that space already, I know that you're well networked, that you can access customers easily, and that you probably know your business better than anybody else. All right, guys. So this so, is you. And reach out to reach out to Tracy. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. thank you again for being here. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Thanks for listening. 